listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. friend who was talking about how recently she was walking around the reservoir, Lafayette Reservoir, and she had the most uh, beautiful insight as she saw a snake crossing the, uh, the path, and uh, she happens to be fairly frightened of snakes, fairly natural, natural thing for us to be afraid of snakes, and she, she stopped, you know, and then she saw someone coming the opposite direction, she's like, you know, there's a snake on the ground, be careful. Uh, and then she realized, as, this, as she described at least, as the snake kind of saw her and kind of went back to what it was doing, kind of kept slithering across. And she realized, all I have to do is walk around it. And this is how my mind works. I thought it was the most beautiful insight how we tend to have these profound fears that arise, you know. And usually fears are, uh, I'm not enough or I'm not going to be able to. There's something, something about lack. Something about something that will be taken away. And as she kind of recognized that all I have to do is relax and walk around it. That the correlative there, the corollary, is that in my own mind, I can look at these thoughts, relax, and move through them. I thought this was so rich, such a rich, simple simple thing that could kind of unfold yet at the same time this is such a rich example of how the dharma kind of unfolds in our day to day in ways that can be deeply deeply instructive i as many of you know um i have a hard time kind of bristle when people call me a buddhist even though that's my training only because a buddhist implies that i subscribe to buddhism which is a religion and religions tend to be belief systems that engender attachments on the other hand, I do consider myself a practitioner of the Dharma, which, rather than being a belief system, is actually uh, a call to action. And at the source of that action is a deep, profound inaction. That from this place of inaction, we start recognizing the source of our action. And when we can start to recognize the source of our action, it's no longer um, clouded through the lens of this tangle that in Buddhist terms we call karma. Karma being the expression of ourselves verbally, the thoughts that we have, of course, mentally, the actions that we take bodily that are about protecting a separate sense of me in here and everything else out there. The minute we can kind of get past that, 
the minute we can start seeing that ultimately we're all connected, that we all depend on each other, we all depend on each other, the minute we can start seeing that is the minute there's this kind of this opening, this space. It's like, well, if we all depend on each other totally, if we are actually all utterly interconnected, if all things are interdependent, then there is no separate me, really, opposing a separate anything else. And in that deep unification, there is no way that we could ever have thoughts that might even suggest that we lack anything or that anything can be taken away from us. Thus is born fearlessness. And what does the practice of fearlessness look like? Walking around the snake. Welcome the snakes. Welcome the snakes. They're offering us some amazingly simple, simple teachings. Take a breath. Relax. Really relax. And engage. My teacher used to say that all the time. Uh, um, he used to explain how how it's kind of like I do every once in a while. Uh, Dharma teachers say exactly the same thing every single week. Let go, okay, and then engage from that place of surrender consciously. And the way he he put it uh, he he put it uh, thought beautifully. He said, anytime. Something arises, whatever it might be, meet it with total relaxation and then respond from a place of generosity. Anything that arises in your life, be it snake or rose, meet it with your full awareness and total relaxation. And then respond from a place of generosity. Do that, and you are Buddha. So rather than achieving Buddhahood through a meditation practice, you realize the Buddha that has always already been dying to express itself through you. This way, We see instead of being Buddhists, perhaps, or Christians, perhaps, or Muslims, or Jews, whatever, we see ourselves as practitioners engaging our lives from a fully conscious and awakened space that allows us to, instead of becoming good Christians or good Buddhists, we become Christs and Buddhas. So the first step to this is slowing way down. So tonight, what we're going to do, as long as someone hasn't taken your zafu, (laughs) sit still. Follow your thoughts. Follow your breath. Follow your cell phone. (laughs) Um, Follow without getting caught by. Notice. Okay? Meet whatever is arising 
with total relaxation. Be that relaxation. Make sense? If you ever get lost, follow your breath. And recognize that that breath is not just inhale, exhale. It's a quivering reminder of the creation we call life and a termination we call death. It's big. It's huge. Okay? Savor it. All right? So if we can work with this idea that fear orients itself around losing something we deem as precious at some future point in time. Fear is the sense that we're going to lose something precious at some future point in time. It's easy to recognize how then our freedom from fear is freeing ourselves from any and all attachment to the future. This is incredibly difficult, especially as Westerners, because we've built lives around future aspirations, future goals. We plan for the future, and all this is good. It's not that any of this is bad, but when we get hooked and bound by future mind, we start uh, really kind of obfuscating, covering up what is no mind. Not mindless, but no mind. The space between future and past memory. Or as Eckhart Tolle likes to call it, the now. Okay? The now. Now this is a very natural thing for us to do. The natural thing for us to do is not to be in the now, but to be anywhere else. Because the now itself is inherently unstable to the mind but unbelievably stable as an idea consider this when is it not now it's never not now it's never not this moment any memory we have, once again, is in this moment. Any plan, any judgment, it's in this moment. And yet it's the one thing we routinely ignore because of habitual, mental, and even physical inertia going somewhere. We ego. It's a verb, isn't it? Right? So, when mind takes off and starts projecting future, yet the fundamental reality of our bodies is in this moment. We have a rift between where we are and where we want to be or what we want to avoid. And that is, once again, stress. So we call stress that tear. I am here but my mind is way out there. Okay? And 
that generates a very special kind of suffering. Okay? This fear, um, I got in a discussion with somebody recently about how, anybody remember uh, the, the trilogy, the Dune trilogy, Frank Herbert? And he called, fear is the mind killer, right? If you just go, look back, you'll realize it wasn't there. Well, there's some value in that, except at the same time, the way I'm kind of proposing that this teaching becomes most effective is when we recognize that fear is not the mind killer. Fear is mind. So as we find ourselves really addicted to mind, we find ourselves, quite honestly, addicted to fear. We might not get whatever. Yeah, you might not. Can you be at peace with that? Can you be at peace with what might happen? Since you have no idea. You know, and this really has an effect on the way we can live and the way we do live. If we're in situations where there's this hardcore, uh, you know, uh, attachment to outcomes in the future, what we are doing essentially is diminishing our ability to live now. And if we diminish that ability to live now, what we do is we compromise the very future we wish to see blossom. You hear that? It's a very elemental, very simple thing. So in, in some cases, the best possible, if you will, medicine for those of us that find ourselves kind of locked into this future mind space is to stop. Just stop. And this is very, very difficult since the mind cannot exist without motion. The motion is either once again going in the future or it's going in the past or it's creating some type of evaluative process, but it's always going. It's e-going. And when we e-stop, what happens? It's like suddenly everything, it's not just we feel chill or something like that. In fact, when we actually stop physically, mentally, and so forth, there's this beautiful chance at a reorientation a recognition of what's important and what's not. And when we can get to this space, there's a very natural, spontaneous expression of generosity for self and other. It comes with this, with this opening. Okay? And this compassion this wisdom that it is all one thing, this compassion that we are at once the one and the many all at the same time, that there is nothing from that perspective that can be taken away from us, that there is nothing that needs to be added in order to make it just right, that it's just fine as is, in that place there is a freedom that has been written about for thousands of years. If you look at religions, what, what's really interesting is not that they all um, have God in common. It's that they all have an afterlife in common. And if we look at from the Buddhist perspective, and I really kind of come down, I've gotten a lot of grief over the years 
because of this. The, um, there was kind of this beautiful, in my view, or at least it was very seductive to my um, early practice looking at Buddhism. What I loved about it was that it was really agnostic. It never answered the question as to whether or not there was a God. It really, that wasn't where uh, the Buddha was going with uh, his or her teachings. Whether I don't know. It doesn't matter if it was a male or female. Um, where the teachings were pointing us, rather, was a way of realizing an end to suffering. So, keep in mind the historical context. The historical context of the Buddha was in, of course, India, and uh, you know, you start looking at the, um, you know, the, the the philosophy that was really kind of embedded in Indian culture, and it was all about rein what rein makes total sense then that the Buddha would say, <coughs> okay, fine. Yeah, stick with that whole reincarnation thing. That'll be just fine. Uh, I can still work with that because it doesn't matter. Okay? Similarly, we look at Buddhism of today as not being um, uh, in conflict with uh, contemporary physics, with string theory, with chemistry, with nuclear, I mean, whatever, with astronomy. It's not in conflict with any of the sciences, and we've become very scientifically minded, scientific agnostics, and so forth. Buddhism still works with that because it is utterly uninterested in looking at the validity or the invalid nature, the invalidity of any scientific truth. It couldn't care less. Okay? So without getting too esoteric and theoretical and intellectual about this, it's really kind of cool to consider that what was being articulated here in the teaching is how to live right now. Okay? That you don't need anything extra to realize the truth that's always there, the truth that is dying to express itself through you. And this truth isn't yours or yours, or it's not any of ours to hold or to have. It's the truth that there is an infinite availability of the infinite. I'll say that again, that there's an infinite availability of the infinite. Right now, is infinity present? Has it ever not been present? It sure doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? It sure feels like it's just, you know, my goddamn car won't start. That becomes the reality. But is infinity not present there? Of course it is. Is infinity present when you're being held by your beloved? Ah, well, yeah. Right, of course. How about when you say goodbye to them for the very last time? How about when you say goodbye to a dream that you've always had? How about when you say hello to new life? Is infinity ever not there? It's always there. It's always there. And our invitation into this realization comes from our orientation 
into the present moment, into what's happening right now. Every single time we sit in meditation, we just sit right here, right now, as we are, fully expressing ourselves, even though we're silent. We're expressing ourselves in an utterly unfiltered way. We're not trying to impress anybody. I mean, unless there, there might be someone next to you who's like really meditating. You know, they're really doing it. They're always fun to watch. They're usually the first ones to fall asleep, too. You can mock them. <laughs> you think you're such a good meditator. <laughs> oh, I judge. Right. All kidding aside, we, we look at this as, as a full expression of ourself in that depth of solitude that is not only coming from within, but is also shared with everyone around us. This is how a community is built. It's kind of what we have with Infinite Smile. It's this beautiful little group. It's been doing this for a long time. And we may not know the person next to us really well, but we know that they're here to support us as an extension of who we always have been. And we begin to trust that. Which once again begins to show us that this boundary between self and other is in many respects quite illusory. That we're actually totally connected. That mind and the ego is what establishes the boundary to this disconnect as opposed to what's beyond mind and beyond ego that is infinitely connected. So how is it that we can get to see that? How is it that we can begin to orient our lives into that spacious, conscious expression of the infinite all the time? I had a great uh, discussion with someone uh, recently about how we can fixate at certain levels of meditation. That, for instance, uh, we might be really visual in the way we want to approach our meditation, or we might really like guided meditation that can kind of help us get to a certain you know, uh, state or something like that. And what I have found over the years in doing this is that um, uh, that can, it seems to be kind of a hindrance to uncovering something that's even deeper. Why? Well, what uh, the teaching, in my view, really, really becomes profound the minute we start recognizing that it's going towards the recognition of the awareness that's always here. The awareness that you have right now sitting, okay? You're aware of the sitting prior to the interpretation of what I'm saying. You're just aware that awareness itself is free. That awareness itself is beyond suffering. It's beyond mind. How can we say this? Because that awareness itself that you have right now can be aware of your past. The awareness of your past is not bound by your past. The awareness of your future is not bound by your future. Future becomes an object to awareness's deeper subject. Time, past and future, then becomes something of an object to an awareness that is beyond time. It is eternal. And it is you. And it is me. 
this awareness is something we share equally. It's something we always have. It is something that is infinitely free. Which is exactly why my teacher used to say, meet your experience with total relaxation. Said another way, with total awareness. And respond to whatever that situation is with total generosity. If you're totally aware, you can't help but respond to any situation with total generosity. The only non-generous response you can ever give is one that is oriented around defensiveness or attack. So where does this put us? Be aware. Throughout your day, check in with your body. How am I feeling? That question can never be answered as I've said repeatedly, unless there's awareness. How are they feeling? You can't answer that question without really checking into what's going on. How is this experience? You can never give any type of evaluation of that experience unless you really check in and check out simultaneously. So the gift that we have to give each other here is one of our awareness. That awareness is not fearful. That awareness is aware of fear. It is not bound by fear. Relax there. Relax and meet your life fully with total relaxation and respond generously. And then everything becomes a snake in the road. Everything becomes a snake in the road that you can just recognize and walk around. And if you can't walk around it, wait. And if you can't wait, then you need to pick up a new meta type of practice, a new, new spiritual practice. There are plenty out there. All kidding aside, this is the way. This is the path. It's very simple. It's old. It's old as dirt. It's been practiced for just millennia, seriously. Thousands of years. Prior to the Buddha herself. Anyone have any questions? We have a few minutes. Yes, young lady, how are you? Good. Um, I'm afraid I don't understand your emphasis on infinity. On the on the infinite? Yes. I'll repeat the question. How's um, that? I'll, I'll I'll do my best to do that. <laughs> I said it's infinitely present, and I thought, hmm, so what? <laughs> well, the infinite. I mean, why is that so important? Why, why is the infinite so important? Yeah, I don't really get because that. it's all there is. There's nothing that's not infinite. the past, the present, and the future. Which is part of the infinite. Right? 
the past and the present and the future, does the infinite care? But do I care about the infinite? Great question. Do I, finite, care about the infinite? Does what is finite care about the infinite? Okay? Now, you can fight against it all you want, but you will lose. Okay? There's no way that finitude trumps infinitude. Ever. Ever. But doesn't being present, mm -hmm. you know, almost sidestep it in a way? Because, yes, it's infinite, but if you're present... If you're present, that's another way of saying you are letting the infinite express itself consciously through you. Not letting the infinite express itself through you is called suffering. So whenever you feel negativity, mm -hmm. you're blocking, essentially. So the infinite is a benign kind of godlike force. The, if, if you want to call it that, except I would say it'd be, you'd go way beyond your idea of what a godlike force is. That's how big the infinite is. So it's not, and I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is when we start, when we start really recognizing the depth and grace of the infinite, okay? And we allow the inherently permeable self, this mask that we wear that basically says hi, right? You know, to the rest of the world. We kind of let that down a little bit. It's like we begin to see the stars that are underneath, okay? We begin to see infinite in and out of every single thing we meet. Everything becomes our teacher. Instead of seeing, what a jackass, we say, someone I share the life and death experience with. An extension of me. And what does that do? That really changes the way, our, attitudinally at least, the way we can meet the world. We start seeing everything as a teaching. Everything is a gift. Everything. And it takes us right back to that phrase, bring it. Whatever it is, bring it. More for me to practice with. More for me to practice letting go of. And that letting go, that mm -hmm. is the act of the infinite expressing itself. Letting go. Big bang. Right? Just play with it. Okay. Yeah. Yes? Question for you. When you speak of, um, if you're aware of the pain, you're not bound by it. Um, and I think in some ways, as I hear you say that, oh, if I can be aware of it, then I won't experience the pain. Like I think of if you're watching a friend die yes. of cancer. Mm -hmm. And if you're being totally present, am I not supposed to feel that pain? You're going to feel it more intensely. But shouldn't I not because I shouldn't be attached to that person anymore? Or no, you should. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that's it's just so you know. That's like the most common, you know, uh, 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 mistake I think in a lot of this teaching is people think that wait, letting go means. Do you understand the difference? Letting go, and I shouldn't care, right? 
So the little pantomime I'm doing there essentially is letting go is high. So feeling the pain. Totally. Mm-hmm. Letting it through. Letting it destroy you. <coughs> and what happens is you'll find that that pain never is enough to destroy you. It will never destroy that in you which is sacred. It'll never destroy that in you which is real, which is true. It'll only help loosen the dirt that we've been dying to get rid of anyway. And what do we find? Well, we find the deeper we practice, oftentimes, the more we feel. Just like whenever an addict goes through withdrawal, you know, they go cold turkey. I mean, can I get through this? Yeah. Yeah, you can. We're here to help. This teaching is here to help. And there has never been an awakened being who hasn't gone through this very thing that you're going through right now. Never. Right? They've all gone through this. And so I always, I always looked at that as being deeply inspiring. You know, that this is, I'm not, I'm not alone. Okay? I'm not alone at this. And, and I'm also not alone at wanting this. You've got to have a little bit of that want. And you've got to be able to focus it if awakening is really something that you want to uncover. All right? So allow yourself to feel. Allow those tears to come. Allow that laughter to come. Allow the ecstasy to come. Allow all of it to be there and meet it fully with your awareness. You will find that your awareness is utterly unfettered by any of any, anything that shows up for it to reflect. It, it just it can't. What happens is, as we start to get into that space, as we start to become more and more aware, there becomes this almost savoring nature that we can begin to bring into any and all experiences. Okay? We do not hide from fear. We do not hide from pain. We do not hide from glory. We do not hide from love. We are totally there. We are all there for it. And what happens is then, it begins to kind of tenderize us. I, I, had, uh, I have really um, advocated for the Sangha to make sure that they can attend longer retreats. Because you will have the felt sense of this experience usually on day four of any seven or ten day retreat. Which is, my legs are going to fall off. Or my back is in such excruciating pain, right? We have, and what happens is, we quite simply keep going. Because the person on our left and the person on our right, they're right there with us. They're going through it too. And the teacher's being encouraging on some level. Okay? You can do this. Every Buddha has gone through this. Okay, okay, huh, huh. And then usually what ends up happening is the pain doesn't go away. The mind's relationship to any future orientation or past memory begins to soften. And then guess what? It's no longer pain. It's just really freaking intense. And you know what? Anybody can deal with really freaking intense. Right? It's what happens to your steadiness. It to- it's, it's like it, it's huge. It's just huge. And this is exactly why the 12th century enlightenment factories in Japan and China they were in, in, in Tibet, they just kept doing this. 
just kept doing it. And what happened, these people were kind of floating out of there. And that's when we had this big, huge surge and a really pretty powerful teaching. That and what we're doing here isn't is definitely an echo of that. It's stripped of all the cultural trappings, but it's very much an echo of that ancient stuff. I'm saying nothing new. And do not trust what I say. Question it deeply. Find this out on your own. You can, you can do it. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, sure. Please, the infinity. So, would you say it's like the wisdom of the ages, really? And you're open to it and aware and receptive? Is that what? Sure. I would say it's that and more. I feel like Ron Popeil from uh, Ronco. It's that and more, you know, really. It is that, but it's beyond your concept of that. Poets get closest, I always say. <laughs> they can kind of touch around a little bit, but the minute we put words to it, we wreck it. And so how do, you, how do we articulate the boundless and the wordless? And the, well, we do it each week here. And what the, the, the continual kind of uh, point, you know, it's always pointing towards letting go. And the more we can let go, not push away, but the more we can just let go, okay, is the more that the infinite can then work itself through this thing we call me and you. And the cool thing is it becomes conscious of itself through us. We call this awakening. Okay? And that means that there is a conscious step towards, away from, into the infinite at every single moment. It's like we are expanding, just like the universe itself is expanding, so now we're doing it purposefully with intentional awareness. Does that kind of make sense? I kind of, I'm wondering if I even touched really where you were going with the question. Because initially, and I don't know if it's because initially it sounds to me like infinite. When you say that, it's just like just time that goes on. That's what infinite meant to me initially when you said it. But right. When you changed it a little bit and said it was awareness. Then you're saying, okay, everything channels through me, right? And that's and that's just everything. Everything channels through you and me all at once. Wow. Wow. Isn't that, think about that. It's pretty amazing. And so, so, so what we have here, uh, what we have here quite beautifully is then a boundlessness to who and what we are that goes way past any concept we've had. So here again, more to let go of. Bring it. Your concept of God is a limited ideal that you have put together over your lifetime that isn't wrong, but the teaching points to the, to the idea that it's much bigger than that idea. And normally we, we fight that. No, it's this way. Welcome we just saw the birth of fundamentalism. Right? And so, quite frankly, 
um, this is the antidote to fundamentalism unless we become fundamental about this. Right? Thank you. Any announcements?